Morning. Hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> Dave, Dave, come on up, come on up here. I'm not going to ask you to, I'm not going to ask you who wore it best, because we already know the answer. It's Hank. But, what do you think about this trio right here? All right, all right. We didn't plan that, by the way. Our wives did. Now, good morning. Give me one second here. We're going to try something new today. I put on the screen mirroring, uh, Chooks. Are we ready to go? Yes, all right. Wow, that was easy. That was easy. Actually, let me get this into it. Here, you're going to watch it. It's like watching a movie backwards. You see who gets killed and you see who lives. Well, welcome. We're continuing our series on the topic of basic Christianity. Basic Christianity really is just another way of describing normal Christianity. It is unfortunate that basic Christianity today does not reflect the use of the mind. We looked at a quote by Mark Knoll, who's a professor at Wheaton in Chicago, Illinois, who defines the scandal of the evangelical mind simply as the fact that there isn't much of an evangelical mind. Evangelical is another way of describing Protestant Christianity. That Christianity has really become an expression of feelings rather than the expression of worship that comes from the result of knowing God truly. To say something about knowing God truly is to say that there are false ways to know God. There are false ways to worship God. Take for a moment and consider the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments. The first one is, there is only one God. One God. Not many, but one God. And you are not to worship any God but Him. The second is that there are to be no graven images of gods or even of God. So that God begins his commandments to man with not only worshiping him specifically, but worshiping him rightly. It is a false way to worship God, even if it's a statue of Jesus Christ, to worship God as an idol. Because what we begin to do is worship the created thing rather than the creator. We even sometimes worship ourselves, many times worship ourselves. But I want us to begin to understand how God's creation reflects a true understanding of him as revealed in scripture. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your revelation that you have revealed to us who you are in Scripture. Some people say, some people demand you to show them a sign. But you told us that there would be no sign given except for the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. 
and raise again. The sign that you've given us is that everything that Jesus has said about creation, morality, heaven and hell, sin and salvation can be taken as fact because you have revealed in the resurrection your stamp of approval. And so, God, we want to glory in you, to use our minds to glorify you. And it is my prayer that you, Holy Spirit, would open up hearts, open up eyes to see your glory. Remove our hands that try to push down the proof of your existence. And let us glorify your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to need my Bible. Would you bring that to me? Thank you. Your lovely assistant. For those of you who are guests, that's my wife, just in case you think I'm the creeper pastor hitting on a random woman. (laughs) We talked about origins, but I want to talk about design today. What is design? There's a fancy word when we use the word, uh, or a fancy study of design, and a fancy word for the study of design, and that's the word teleology. Teleology is the study of design in creation. It seeks to answer the question, where did the design in nature come from? When we use the word design, we mean something like a recognizable pattern. There is a, there is a specified complexity with a recognizable pattern. So let's say that you were in a helicopter and you were flying over the ocean, and there was a little desert island, and there was a rock formation on the beach, and the rock formation spelt out the word help with an exclamation mark at the end of it, you would immediately begin to suspect that someone, there was someone, there was some kind of intelligence, some kind of designer to the design down there on that island, even if you didn't see him. It would be foolish to fly over that island and say, oh, look at that water erosion. Look at how the beach has eroded those rocks to form the word. It looks just like the word help, even with an exclamation mark. It would be foolish. In fact, if you saw that, you would probably radio for the Coast Guard to go down there and see what was going on. Hopefully, we're going to get there in time. Because even though we don't see a person, even though we don't see the intelligence behind it, we see a specified complexity and a recognizable pattern, we see design. And every time we see design, we infer a designer. And so teleology simply asks the question, where did the design in nature come from? I'm arguing that the design in nature is much, much, many times over more complex than stones on an island spelling the word help. So that men, when they see the design in the universe, are without excuse. I'll give you one quote by philosopher William Lane Craig. He says, 
The discovery of cosmic fine-tuning, and I'm going to explain a little bit about fine-tuning. I'll give you a working definition right now. It just means the specificity of the requirements for life, the, the, the special, special tweaking of the requirements of life. He says, the discovery of cosmic fine-tuning for intelligent life has led many scientists to conclude that such a delicate balance of physical constants and quantities as is required for life cannot be dismissed as mere coincidence, but cries out for some sort of explanation. The real weakness insofar as an intellectual weakness is concerned, but the real weakness of modern science is that it's just boring. It doesn't answer the interesting question. Yes, it tells us how the cell operates. How RNA messenger can copy DNA patterns and transfer those patterns across the cell. It's interesting to note that amino acids in a two-dimensional form can form into proteins. 20 amino acids into 30,000 proteins that are three-dimensional. And those three-dimensional proteins are Protein specifically for specific types and specific parts of the body. But the big question is, why? Why is that going on? We know how DNA and how this human cell behaves, but why? Now that's an interesting question. And I'm not saying that we should close our science books. In fact, I am saying the complete opposite. I am saying, Christians, you should be excelling in science. You can take in the data and sift through the dogma and take the nuggets of truth and see where the false interpretations of science lie. But it is essential for Christians to be involved in the scientific realm and the reason for that is because God's word and the world he created are both inspired, infallible, and inerrant when they are understood correctly. And they are not in contradiction. I'll give you another quote here. This is a great quote by Sir John Templeton. He says, Would it not be strange if a universe without purpose accidentally created humans who are so obsessed with purpose? You know, the conclusion of the modern scientific approach to science, which we've learned about already, methodological naturalism, that is the belief that any answer to a scientific question has to be natural and cannot be divine, including the very origins of our universe, has to be natural and accidental. The conclusion of that is that nothing in this universe is designed for a purpose. That was really the point of Darwin's biological theory, which was to show that the apparent design in biological organisms is really nothing but an accidental cause of natural selection. And what Templeton points out here is just ask the obvious question, isn't it strange that if the universe is accidentally here, that there are beings in this universe who 
want to know what the purpose is? We are incurably religious, said one philosopher. And so we want to know the answer, why, why was the universe designed? Now it is essential that we understand what we're doing here. What we're doing here on a Sunday morning is we are answering first and foremost what has God's word directed us to understand about the universe. Our starting point is therefore the word of God and not modern science. Science has made itself the sovereign over all truth. But God's word has said it is truth. And we are going to begin our exploration of science by beginning with the word of God. In fact, it is important that you understand in the history of science, specifically Western science, that the great scientists in the Western uh, uh, intelligentsia began with an understanding of God's word. And it was precisely because they believed, as Jerry pointed out in our Sunday school this morning, that they believed, because they believed that, they, that God was knowable and could be known by what was made, they began to explore. Isaac Newton was a Christian. And it wasn't until Enlightenment philosophy which argued that there was no need for God, there was no need for a God to explain where everything came from. It wasn't until that philosophy came about that people like Darwin began to try and explain how things could come about without a designer. You know, if there is no God, the only game in town is evolution. It's the only option. But I want to show you that where we're beginning from is the Bible. And so we begin from the Bible, but we go after we have learned about the Bible and learned what the Bible says. Now we are free to explore the world of reason and the world of experience or the world of science and ask the question, has the Bible been affirmed in what we know about reason and in what we know about experience? And let me tell you one other thing. Christians, it is essential that where the two are in conflict, we understand, if we have a true understanding of God's word, that where the two are in conflict, God's word is the winner. Because our faith begins with a belief in a person. Especially when we talk about science. Isaac Newton was one of the greatest scientists that ever lived. No question about it. Buried in Westminster Abbey. And then a fuzzy-haired, funny-looking person by the name of Albert Einstein came along and turned Newtonian physics on its head. And so what was thought to be a solid understanding of God, or excuse me, a solid understanding of astrophysics and physics itself was turned on its head when Einstein came around. Science is never absolutely sure, but God's word claims to be truth. And so we begin with the word of God, and we move from there to see, well, and we should even, dare I say, we should expect reason. We should expect science. 
to rightly reflect and to agree with God's word. Essentially, my thesis is this. When God's word is understood correctly, listen to me. When God's word is understood correctly, when nature and human reason are understood correctly, they are in complete agreement. That is what I'm saying. All right. Well, let's answer this question. How does the Bible answer the question? Where did the design in nature come from? So let's say we're starting out with this question. Where did the design in nature come from? And we want to get an answer. So we go to our Bibles and we open up our Bibles. Let's just see. And I, really, I don't have time to go through every single verse. But I, I just picked ones that I thought did a good description of this. Let's begin with this one. Proverbs 3.19. By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. And by understanding he set the heavens in place. The second word there, set, is a word that... It's the same word that Samson uses when he asked the boy to put his hands on the columns upon which this building had been set. If you know anything about building a building, every single one of these buildings that we exist in and that we're living in is a reflection of the abstract concept of numbers. You know, there's no such thing as physical reality of numbers. Numbers are an abstraction. They're real, but they're abstract. But we know they're real because we have buildings. And we know that if those numbers are out of whack just a little bit, that these buildings will crumble. And not to speak ill of the dead. But we witnessed this past week in our city, in our very city, what happens when fine-tuning by human beings goes awry. The Bible says that God designed the world to be fine-tuned. By wisdom he designed it. This isn't a roll of dice. He didn't take paint and throw it onto a canvas, but he took what he made by, the, by his very mouth and he formed it. And he did that for a purpose. And the Bible says that by wisdom, the Lord, the Lord, God, this is his universe. It's not ours. It's his. Understand then that he gets the right to do with it what he should please to do with it. He is the creator. We have no right to tell the creator he should have done it this way or that way. We are nothing but the creature. As Paul said, we are the clay, but he is the potter. And if he wants to form vessels for honor and vessels for dishonor, it is his moral prerogative. But by wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. Psalm 8 through uh, 8 
verses 3 and 4 says this. I love this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers. That phrase, work of your fingers. Whenever you're working with, with wood, I'm, I'm a novice woodworker. I've been making a squirrel house for Susan for the last year. And uh, poor thing, she, was, she saw a couple like squirrel houses for like 90 bucks on Amazon. I said, no, I can build it for you. Just buy the materials, I'll build it for you. And so like $300 later and seven months later, I'm, I'm the opposite of Amazon Prime when it comes to woodworking. But there are numbers that you got to get right. And so if you're going to build an octagonal shape, you've got to, if you're going to have those pieces agree in wood, you've got to cut the angle at 22.5 degrees in order for them to fit. If you've got four pieces, you've got to make sure that every angle is a right angle, that it's 90 degrees. It can't be off by any part. And you've got to be precise with everything that you do. And look at what Psalm says, the work of your fingers God is working precisely with the universe. The moon and the stars which you have set in place. And when we see how God has set the moon, you understand that the moon is the specific type of moon we need. That moon is not just some rock in the sky. Its size and distance tilts our earth on its precise access to give off the electromagnetic fields that it needs to shield the harmful rays from the sun so that our earth doesn't burn up, but instead it ripens your tomatoes. And David says, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You know, I have a, a hypothesis. I think one of the reasons that we are so self-absorbed today is because we're so synthetic in everything that we do. Our relationships are synthetic. There used to be a time where when somebody asked you how many friends you had, you'd be able to count them on your finger and you'd say, oh, one or two, Bob's my best friend. Now we count them by how many thumbs up we have on our social media pages. Listen, just so you know, you don't really have 800 friends. <laughs> you know what a friend does? He shows up to move your house when your house needs to be moved. That's what a friend does. A friend is there for you in thick and in thin. A friend is there to wipe your tears with his hand or her hand. Friends care about us. They're around us. They don't just text us pictures of their tiramisu. But we're always looking at screens. Man, have you seen this TV? And I know, I know, I know I'm like it. I, I, I can't even look at a VH. Stephanie told me, she said, you know, my parents have that movie. We were talking about, what was it? Uh, Bed Noms and Broomsticks. I've never seen it. She said, oh, my parents have it on VHS. I said, oh, VHS! Wretched technology! My eyes cannot look upon VHS. 
Can you imagine? We're going to go home and we're going to watch VHS. All right, kids, we're going to watch this movie. Yay! And they sit down and you go, all right, just wait 10 minutes as we rewind the tape. And then when you play it, it's fuzzy and tracking is off. We want high definition. You want to know what high definition is? Turn off all the screens. Turn off all the lights. Go out into your backyard and stand there and look at the starry sky. David didn't have an iPad. All he had was darkness. And when you're standing there and what you're doing on a Friday night is trying to figure out why that star does the same thing every year, you start to ask questions, why do you care about me? Because that's pretty significant up there. And he had no understanding of how large these things were and how vast they were. Our galaxy has something like 200 billion stars in it. And there's something like trillions of galaxies all having the same amount of stars in them, roughly speaking. And David asked the question, what, what is it that you're mindful of me? You see, when David says, what is it that you're mindful of me? It's not just that God made us. It's that we are the focal point of creation. Look at Genesis 1 with me. We're going to do something very novel today. All right, everybody ready? We're going to read the Bible in church. We were at a Bible study just recently, and you know, the Bible study, we, here's how Bible studies start. What book do you want to study? Hmm, I got an idea. Let's start with the Bible. So this guy says, we, we, we study every other book under the sun, and then this guy says, you know, what do you think about us just taking a specific book of the Bible and reading it together. And I said, that is an interesting idea. So let me get this straight. Your suggestion is that in a Bible study, we study our Bibles? For many of us, this will be the first time you've read the Bible all week. This is where the power is. I want to read Genesis 1, and I want you to pay attention to the amount of specific design and purposeful design in creation. In the beginning, whenever that was, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. It means that it had not yet, it doesn't mean that it was purposeless, it means that it was not yet created upon. Everything didn't come pre-made. It's not pre-built. God is going to create on it. You know, one of the most wonderful parts about being an artist is the process. When you learn how to draw and sketch, the first thing you're taught to do is get the rough outline of the sketch down. And then for the rest of the time, you are to spend 80 to 90% on the sketch, just fine-tuning the specific parts. And let me tell you, if you're an artist, it's an absolute joy. It's fun. Because you're excited about what's going to happen. 
Now, God has not yet begun to create specifically on the earth. It says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Understand this then as a Trinitarian creation. John tells us that the word that became flesh, which is Jesus, was there in the beginning. He is the creator. And so Jesus, the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father are all there in creation. They're not doing this for no reason. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated. So not only was the light there, but it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. He ordered them. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Thank God for morning. Without morning, we wouldn't be able to have biscuits. I mean, who eats biscuits at night? Psychopaths. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and he separated the waters that were above the expanse, the atmosphere, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry appear, land appear. And, and, and notice the scripture's not telling us much about the process, only that God is the one ordering it. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation Plants yielding seed. They, imagine the, these plants are growing. And fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed. Each according to its kind on earth. And it was so. Imagine if you went to plant a pineapple and instead you got something like a papaya. Pineapples are delicious and papayas are disgusting. And so when you plant those pineapples... You get a pineapple. You don't get a papaya. It's predictable because God made it so. It says here, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which the seed each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning on the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day God is designing a beautiful universe and God said let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Go home tonight and instead of watching some show like Scandal, watch Planet Earth. 
They just came out with the second volume of it. Watch it. They're just showing you Genesis 1. It is amazing to see how those birds, of specifically the bird of paradise, how they mate. Girls, don't be offended. But usually in the animal kingdom, the male is the more attractive. It's not like that in a human kingdom. That is for sure. I don't know how you girls like us at all. We're gross. My son is gross. Girls smell good, but boys are nasty. They got sweat and weirdness always. I just hose Kellen down with a pressure cleaner. But and then he's dirty by the time he gets back in the house. This bird of paradise, the males are given these amazing things in, in order to get the, the females to mate with them. And, and they, do these, they do all of these amazing things. This one has the inside of his mouth is completely neon green. And he moves his head in a certain way and he does a dance. That's how I got Stephanie. She, she saw me when She went, ooh. <laughs> Never seen a white guy move like you before. <laughs> I'm going to snatch you up. And they're beautiful because they're breeding, they're, they're breeding with one another. And, and you know the female bird knows exactly what to look for. She knows whether or not she's going to mate with him or not. She has no concern about the other birds. She is concerned with the birds of her kind. Go watch planet Earth. It's exactly what God's telling you. And it's amazing. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. See how many times it's according to their kinds. And the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Yes, God made cockroaches and said they were good. Cockroaches are your best friend for anybody who owns a house with a septic tank. Because they do the job. Yes, they do. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This creation is beautiful. It is well-ordered. God has been glorified in what he has, been, what he has made. Well, let's answer then this question very quickly. How do reason and science 
How do reason and science answer the question, where did everything come from? So we're going to act as if scientists without the word of God, even though they have it, have closed it and they are coming to this conclusion on their own. Let's start with this one, reason. One philosopher, William Paley, came up with an argument for God's existence. This is a teleological argument. And the word teleological or teleos is the Greek word which means things that are ordered for a purpose. I meant to wear my watch today, but it didn't match with my, my outfit. Um, yeah, that was the reason. I just forgot it. But it was a, it's a wooden watch. It's very beautiful. Stephanie bought it for me when, uh, after my installation service here as the pastor. And on the, on the front and in the back, if you turn over the back of the glass, you can see all the parts of the watch and there's there's like thousands of little parts there's little gears there's little gaskets there's little uh, swings there's all kinds of things back there and they're all working together they're all they all have an independent job but they don't have an independent job for nothing they have a goal and when you flip the watch over you see what the gears and the gaskets and every part in there is for it's to tell time they're working together for a purpose. And that's really what the word teleos in Greek means, when things are working together for a goal, what the end is. Well, William Paley said this. He said, imagine that you're walking in a field and you come across a rock. He says, there's really nothing in a rock. Well, think about this. William Paley did not have an understanding of, of atomic theory at that time. But William Paley says, if you come across that rock, there's really nothing in that rock that would make you think that, there, that it hadn't been there for all eternity. He said, but suppose you're walking along a little bit more and you come across a watch. And you pick up that watch and it's like the watch I just described. And you look at the back and you see that those gears and those gaskets and those pulleys and those swings are all moving together. And they're working together. They're working in harmony. And then when you flip it over, you see that they're not simply moving for no reason. They're moving together for a purpose. He says, when you come across something like that, the only inference that a human being with rationality can have is that this has been designed. And if it has been designed, there must be a designer. And I don't have to know anything about the designer, only that this type of order demands there be one. I don't have to tell you whether he's from Germany or whether he's from Italy. I just have to look at it and say, it's clearly been designed. He says, in nature, in nature, organisms are designed. They had a very, very small understanding of the microbiological life of cells. They really didn't know much about it at that time. And Paley didn't know how true his statement was. And he simply said this, when we look at our universe, it demands, when we see the interworkings of our universe and we see the way that our bodies work, see the way that Human life is recapitulated through sperm and egg and understand that there's no brain in that sperm. There's no brain in that egg. They're not persons. But they move orderly. 
They know where they're going. They know their job. And they don't have a center of consciousness. Bailey says, just like those gears on the watch, we find things in nature doing the same thing. And therefore, they too must have been designed. Therefore, belief in God is highly reasonable. Well, what about science? Let me give you two. Science has found something called cosmic fine-tuning. Now, let me just be honest, rather candid here. Um, when it comes to math, um, I'm out. That's not my gift. Mr. Hearn had to tutor me. I see Mr. Hearn smiling over there. He is, if you're ever going to hear Mr. Hearn amen in church, it's going to be now. Because he had to tutor me in math, and he knows math is not my gift. Nonetheless, I can read. And I can understand that when someone says that the cosmological constant, which is nothing more than, it, it is not a requirement, it is simply an arbitrary fact. It, it, in other words, it's random. It, 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 it's contingent. It doesn't have to be there. But when the cosmologic constant is there, it's absolutely necessary for intelligent life. I can understand that when someone says that that has to be specifically fine-tuned like 10 to the 140th power that if any number of the... Imagine that's 10 with 140 zeros after it. And imagine that one of those decimal numbers is changed just by one. Life is impossible. I can understand. That's pretty fine-tuned. Here's what one... An, uh, one professor of astrophysics, Robin Collins, has said to help us all out, including me. He says, imagine if astronauts landed on Mars and found an enclosed biosphere, sort of like the domed biosphere that we see in Arizona. For people who were born in the 90s, kind of like the movie Biodome with Polly Shore. You're guilty. Now, now, I, now we know who saw it. At the control panel, they find that all the dials for its environment are set just right for life. The oxygen ratio is perfect. The temperature is 70 degrees. The humidity is 50%. You hear that, Nana? Where's Nana? A perfect temperature is 70 degrees. I rest my case. Nana likes 80 The humidity is 50%. There's a system for replenishing the air. There are systems for producing food, generating energy, and disposing of waste. Each dial has a huge range of possible settings. And you can see if you were to adjust one or more of them just a tiny bit, the environment would go out of whack and life would be impossible. He says here, what conclusion would you draw from that? Cosmic fine-tuning just simply says this. Our universe is highly, 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 almost mathematically impossible. And without it, we wouldn't have any life at all. Wow. The heavens declare the glory of God. By wisdom. 
He established the stars. And he said they were good. But not only that, if we go out into the far reaches of space and we go down to the microbiological organism of the cell, we find that there are bodies, there are organisms down there that are irreducibly complex. That means all of the parts that are required for an organism to function have to be there and rightly ordered at the beginning and cannot, according to a Darwinian model of evolution, gradually grow. You won't have the organism function without all of the parts there at the beginning. Take, for instance, a mousetrap. A mousetrap has five essential parts. A hammer, a catch, a spring, a platform, and a, uh, you know, what the little pulley thing is. That thing. That's five parts. If you remove any one of those parts, you're not catching a mouse. If you take away the platform, nothing will sit together. If you take away the spring, you're not going to have the, the energy that you needed, that kinetic energy that's going to spring, that's going to bang and kill the mouse. You have to have them all there. And not only that, you have to have them all in the right order. It is irreducibly complex. Take away one thing and it will not work at all. And one scholar came up and found that there are organisms in the human body that are irreducibly complex vastly beyond that. Michael Behe, who is a professor of biochemistry, presented his paper, I believe it was back in the 90s, early 90s, at SMU University, promoting his theory called Irreducible Complexity. And what he found was this. He found that there were organisms in the cell. Now, remind you, Darwin did not know what the cell was. And he did not know the complexities. And when the complexities were uncovered, we realized that there were organisms that could not have evolved over time. And here's an example of one. It's called the bacteria, uh, bacteria flagellum motor. The bacteria flagellum motor has 40 different parts that work like an offboard motor or an outboard motor. And if you don't have those parts, all 40 of them, there, it won't work. So you can't have gradual evolution. Because guess what? The bacteria is not going to float anywhere. And Darwin himself proposed that it is the survival of the what? Fittest. And anything that doesn't work is by definition unfit. So it won't work. Darwin's theory at the microbiological level breaks down. It demands that there be someone who has at the first beginning, at the very beginning, ordered those 40 parts exactly the way they are needed to be ordered in order to get an organism to function. And that's going on in our bodies right this very moment. This system is irreducibly complex. It takes the bacteria from one part of the cell into another. Someone has likened the human cell to a galaxy of information. 
David Berlinski. He's not even a Christian. So science, both in astrophysics and human biology, has demonstrated exactly what Scripture has told us, that the universe is good and that it is highly designed by God. But let me say this. God didn't simply design the universe to show off. Although that is certainly something that we enjoy. We enjoy when God shows off. We enjoy when God shows us glory. But the design of the universe is not simply something that God did without a reason. If man, mankind is the crowning achievement of God's creation, then it follows that the best of mankind is the crowning achievement of all creation, namely the man Christ Jesus. Christ is the focal point of God's design in the universe. Turn to Colossians 1 as we conclude. Look with me, if you would, at verse 15. Remember what we saw back about Adam and Eve? They were created in what? God's image. Colossians 1.15 He, that is Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now be careful. The word there for firstborn does not mean that Jesus was born like human babies are born. It means that he is preeminent. The focus here is not biology. The focus here is status. The word there refers to who the child was that was the highest ranking child in a Hebrew family. And that did not have to be the firstborn chronologically. It had to be the highest, the highest of the children that would receive the blessings of the father. And so firstborn does not mean the way we think Firstborn. The focus here is on preeminence. Now, if you're not convinced, listen to the context. For by him all things were created. By who? The firstborn of all creation. But I thought the Bible said that God the Father created the heavens and the earth. It said God created the heavens and the earth. And he was with God because he is God. The creation of the universe is Trinitarian. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all created the universe. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. That means God made math. He made angels. 
He made the realms of heaven and hell. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This universe is for Christ. And he is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That is the highest. For in him, listen, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Like a black hole in the universe pulls all energy towards the center. All of history is being pulled towards that moment at a cross. And there's a simple question for every one of you today. Where do you stand in relation to that cross? The God of order has made the heavens and the earth for the Christ who is in the cross the only solution for your sins. And any life that you're living that is not, that does not have, listen to me, any life that you are living that does not have Christ at the center is by definition disorderly. Scripture says it is death. Death. And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. What are evil deeds? Anything outside of God's order. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. In other words, this, Jesus Christ is the solution for the disorderly chaos that you see in the world today. God didn't create this world to have bridges collapse on people and kill them. It wasn't his purpose. It was under his sovereignty, but it was not his will of disposition. Scripture tells us that it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. All should have everlasting life. This chaos in the world, God says, listen, this world and all that is in it is passing away. But God has redeemed those who trust in Jesus 
to be a part of a new creation and of a new kingdom. The center or the focal point of God's design in the universe is Jesus Christ. This morning as we leave, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I ask you, where do you stand in line with the cross of Jesus Christ? Are you living in darkness? Are you living outside of God's order? Have you rejected God's Son? How can the creation look at the Creator and say, I won't follow according to your plan? That's what sin is. Sin is not immorality, properly speaking. Sin is the rejection of the creator and the designer who has ordered the world to function according to his will, according to its kind. And so we can look at our lives and see whether or not we are honoring the creator. Father, it is my prayer this morning that you would open up hearts that you would open up eyes to see your design and your creation. That you would soften hearts towards Jesus. That you would reveal to every empty life in this building this morning that the life worth living is the one that bears a cross, the same cross Jesus Christ himself bore. It is my prayer that you would open up hearts to reject the things of the world that are passing away and desire the kingdom of heaven. Father, we know that that comes only through confession of sin, the repentance of sin, and the absolute trust in Jesus Christ as the only forgiveness that we have for our sin. Holy Spirit, it is you who gives life to dead men, so I ask, Holy Spirit, give life to dead men this morning. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As we conclude by singing, turn your eyes on Jesus.
Heavenly Father, bless us now as we leave this place. Let us look to you and your incredible design as we look to souls who are dying. Let us see them as you see them. Bless us now as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.